The following podcast contains true stories of sex, kink, gender, or body image. Thanks for being a consenting adult, because here we go. All of my life, I've never fit, but I won't complain and I won't quit. I am enormous, get used to it. Everyone tells me I'm too much, maybe it's just you're not enough for me. Can't you see, I'm the kind of woman I'm supposed to be. Hi there, and welcome to the Body Storytelling Podcast. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Della Tour, and this week we have a story from author and sex educator Allison Moon. How's your week going? Mine has been full of highs and lows. And since you tell me you like hearing these things, I'm gonna tell you what <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about mm, some good stuff and some bad stuff. Uh, You may have heard me talk about my friend Polly Superstar, the founder of Kinky Salon. Kinky Salon was in many, many cities, and it's based here in San Francisco. It was one of the places where I felt like I found my sex-positive community. People who just wanted to make other people happy, who just wanted to make them feel safe, and help them make their fantasies come true. That is something that the core team of volunteers and I had in common. Polly Superstar was scheduled to get married in March of 2020. And that didn't happen. And then it was scheduled again during Omicron. And that didn't happen. So this past week, third tries the charm, the wedding happened in Las Vegas, in the mountains above Las Vegas. First time getting on an airplane. That was terrifying. It took a little bit of nerve and two masks to sit on a plane and Then I started calming down and going, this seems okay. It's not as scary as I thought it would be. I arrived in Las Vegas. I caught a very expensive lift to the top of a mountain. And I spent a lot of time being concerned because my job was, I was the official storyteller of the love story of Polly and Adam. Now I had had a couple of check-ins for this job. One right before COVID, when the wedding was originally scheduled, that version was more the truth, you know? Yes, it was a hookup. Yes, we were just crazy for each other. Yes, there were lots of dick pics, that sort of thing. And then the week of the wedding, last week, when the story changed to, "Mm, Dixie, the family's gonna be there. Well, the family was always gonna be there. So we're just gonna tame it down. Let's just keep it kind of PG. Well. I don't tell other people's stories. I tell my own stories. And if I'm gonna tell other people's stories, I'm gonna need all the facts for their stories. I'd heard the facts in the original version, but there was nothing in the next version. It was just clean up the dirty version. So I had a lot of stress because I was gonna stand up in front of about 150 people and tell a story that had no details in it and stories are pretty much the details. That's what a story is. I really kind of freaked out about it. 
Like, how am I going to do this? These people are going to think I'm the worst storyteller in the world if I get up there and go, they met each other and it was nice. They fell in love. Here we are at their wedding. The end. That's not a very interesting story, is it? So as I thought about it, I started thinking about maybe I could do a little call and response so I can hide the fact that I'm kind of (laughs) not really telling the truth in this story. Maybe I'll have the guests at the wedding say, as a rock star does, because this story included Polly going on tour, Polly deciding to take a lover in every port, as a rock star does. But meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, well, what are you going to do for the rest of the time that you're talking? They've told you to keep it clean, but the only details you know are dirty. So when the time came for me to speak, I got up on the microphone, very nervously approaching the microphone, and turned toward everybody and said, hi, I'm Dixie Delator. I'm the official storyteller of the love story. And people cheered. And I said, I have a problem and I need you to help me with it. And people perked up and I said, so you know this wedding's been scheduled a couple of times and we're finally doing it, but I have a problem. Before COVID, I heard a version of the story that was had a lot of details. And then this past week, I heard a different version of the story that had a lot less details. Now realize, A lot of the people at this wedding are English. Polly's English, her groom is English, a lot of his family and her family were in town. So I said, so here's the help I need from you. Which story do you want to hear? Do you want to hear the stodgy version or do you want to hear the racy version? So when I said, do you want to hear the stodgy version, (laughs) half the people from the US didn't know what the word stodgy meant and they went, yay! And then I said, do you want to hear the racy version? They went, wait, no, that one. We want that one. Yay. (laughs) And so I said, hmm. And I turned around to Polly and Adam and I'm like, sorry, guys, got to give them what they want. And I proceeded to tell their love story about how Polly was missing something from her epic life, her empire she created, this community all over the world who loved her from making this place where we could all feel safe, where we could all feel surrounded by people like us. Like I originally found the freaks that I felt at home with at Kinky Salon. And so I told this story about her empire and how she had everything, but something was missing. So one day she decided she was gonna go on tour to the other kinky salons around the world, as a rock star does. And she decided she was going to start at Kinky Salon London. And as she stood on stage at the Midnight Cabaret, a young handsome man was staring up at her. And he thought, wow, she created this place. She's incredible. And he stepped up shyly and said, I just want to say thank you for this. And he tried to not waste her time and run away. And she said, wait, I'm flirting with you. And he goes, oh, you are? And so they hooked up. And they had a great time. Something really special happened. But Polly had made a decision that she was going to take a different lover in every port. So she packed up her stuff and she headed to Kinky Salon Berlin. And when she showed up at Kinky Salon Berlin, there was Adam on the front row. And she was like, it was going to be a different lover in every port. But Adam was pretty special. 
so they hooked up again. Polly wasn't looking for anything more serious than that because she didn't feel like it was possible. And as she traveled to the other cities, she still felt like something special was there with Adam, but he lived in London and she lived in San Francisco and it would never work. And then Adam kept trying to make it work. Adam kept connecting. They planned a vacation together. They went to Mexico. They stayed in touch, talked on FaceTime and other apps every day. And he started doing the most clever thing, which was instead of sending dick pics, he would create he would create dick dioramas, which I just my jaw dropped when I heard that. I was like, oh, my God, if anybody ever sent me a dick diorama, I would go, wow. (laughs) So remember, I'm supposed to be telling the clean version of this story, but the dirty version is so good that I'm getting really excited as I tell it. And every once in a while, I turn around and Polly is laughing so hard, like Dixie's off the rails. What were we thinking? I got to tell the story of the dick diorama and the one that made her realize this clever, creative weirdo was the one for her. And they finally got married last week. It was so good to see people that I hadn't seen in years I got to meet new members of the Kinky Salon community. I got to hang out in Vegas, which I haven't done in a long time since before the pandemic. Sunny Megatron and her husband, Ken Melvoinberg, came out. Their only time coming out since the pandemic. And we got to sit together at the wedding and catch up and take photos in the photo booth. And like, if you were to look around at these people at this wedding, these people were like burners and perverts and just interesting people. And um, because this ramble shouldn't go on and on and on and on, I'm not going to tell you about the clown orgy that I went to, but I might have to post about that on Patreon because I have incredible pictures. Have you ever heard anybody creating lanyards for a pervert convention? Oh my God, the lanyard. That was the thing that got me out of my room because I was like, I am going to spend hours in that giant, sexy bathtub in my room that I had all to myself. But then there were lanyards at the clown orgy. I had to go for that. And I have one and I'll show you mine (laughs) somewhere on social media. I came back and I kind of felt like, even though I did a little making out, I was feeling like I did things well. You know, we had been very careful. We'd all taken COVID tests before we got on our planes. We took one Friday night when the wedding was Saturday. We were really pretty safe till the clown orgy when I started making out with people. And then I got home and took another test and it was negative. And then on Wednesday, I woke up and I had a sore throat and I wasn't feeling well. And I'm like, "Uh oh, I have a show on Friday. What am I going to do about that? I didn't want to take a home test. I didn't want to expose people to something just in case I'd caught something. So I went and got a COVID test at Kaiser. But I wouldn't have my results back in time, so I had to postpone the show. And while I was waiting for my COVID test, I learned that my friend Miles, the death that I've been fearing the most since this pandemic started, he had died. And I have to say, I cried so hard, but... He did it right, you know? He did everything well. 
One of the things that I really admired about his way of dying was he had created a group of 500 or so of his dearest friends. And he'd been chronicling his death every day, telling us what it was like to die of cancer, telling us when he felt hopeful and when they tested out new things on him and he got a little bit better and then when he went to chemo and how bad he felt. He talked about everything. He talked about his plans for what he wanted to do with his body when it was all over. He talked about how much he loved his partner Red and how he was so happy that he could set her up with things that she loves like horses and goats and a big house and how he wanted the community of people who loved him to help her, to help provide his love to her after he was gone. And so the other night, I see something pop up in the group and it's his wife telling us about his death, telling us about how they were reading aloud all the expressions of love those 500 people were making to him because they knew the time was now. He was listening to the words of people who loved him as he died. And he can't do it any better than that. I was so impressed. I want to do that when I go, you know? Let people... I mean, it's really important to let people know that you love them while they're still here on Earth. I've always been a big fan of eulogies while you can enjoy them. Why are we giving eulogies for people who are gone? Tell them today. Tell them how important they are. I get to tell Miles something that he didn't know when I went and saw him in person in December when I took that RV road trip. We sat and we talked and he was really weak, but it was just like old times. We'd grown up together in the Blue Ridge Mountains. We discovered each other at a sex party in San Francisco many years later. And as we sat there talking, I'm like, Miles, can I tell you a secret? And he said, yeah. And I said, you were the very first public sex I ever had. And he said, what, you? You. I was the first public sex you ever had. And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't start having public sex when I was four years old. Like, we all start somewhere, you know? And he said, how was I? <laughs> and I said, honestly, I have no idea. Because you threw my legs over your shoulders. And all I could think of is the people across the room can see my butthole right now. Like, that's all I could think about. And he laughed. And he said, I remember you. Dixie, you were fun. And it's been a long time since anybody told me that. It was such a beautiful moment. And I'm so glad I made that long trip in an RV on a scary mountain road to get to his house and kiss him goodbye. And tell him I loved him. Because three months later, he's gone. Sorry. <laughs> I'm doing it again. I'm crying on the podcast. But this death, this was a big one. Just keep this one thing in mind, y'all. Reach out while you're listening to this. As soon as you're done listening to this podcast, go tell people you love them. Tell the important ones. Tell the ones you haven't talked to in 20 years. Tell them how important they were. Tell them a secret that they don't know. Maybe it's that they were your first public sex. Maybe it was that they made the best chicken and dumplings you ever had. 
whatever it is. Just let them know while they're on the planet. You can't do any better than that. When I was out of town last week, my assistant Crystal came to my house to dog sit my St. Bernard quake. She brought her favorite pillow and blanket, climbed into my bed, and texted me immediately. The text said, wow, you're not kidding about this Helix mattress. This is the most comfortable bed I've ever slept in. Well, I learned about Helix sleep during the pandemic when I desperately needed a new mattress but was not about to go shopping in person at a mattress store. Helix has this quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Helix knows that everybody's sleep style is unique, so they make it easy to figure out the right mattress for you. They also have mattresses for cooling you down if you sleep hot, mattresses that help with spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains, soft, medium, and firm mattresses, and more. I took the Helix quiz and I was matched with the Helix Plus for plus size sleepers. It is tough to get out of bed now. My Helix mattress is unbelievably comfortable. It is such a huge upgrade over my old mattress. Things that I love about Helix is that the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. They have a 10 year warranty and you can try it out for 100 nights risk free. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And they have over 12,000 five-star reviews. So try it out. Just go to helixsleep.com Dixie, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And did you know that Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners of the Body Storytelling Podcast? So just go to helixsleep.com slash Dixie. Helix gets my highest recommendation. So go to H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash Dixie right now for up to $200 off and two free pillows. This show is my life's passion. And your support for body storytelling on Patreon will help me move toward a bigger and better body. Because I have goals. Goals like building my team, because I really need help. Creating more compelling and unique content for you. Establishing a stronger sense of community with you, my listeners. Making the show more accessible to folks everywhere, whether that be online or, oh, dare I dream it, taking body on the road again. I really miss bringing body to new cities, reaching more people with sex positive messages and education. I get so many emails from people who've never found the sort of acceptance and love that they've found here. I wanna reach more people to tell them that whoever you love, whomever you are, you're not wrong. There's a place for you and it's here with us. So here's a deal. If you sign up for Body's Patreon at the $10 a month level or higher in the next two weeks, you'll get a free live stream ticket to our next live show, fingers crossed, on Friday, April 22nd. Free live streams are one of my favorite ways to thank my Patreon supporters. Y'all got me through the pandemic, and you're the people who got me to the 15-year mark, too. I want you to join our community, so I'm giving you a free live stream ticket for our next show, and the one after that, if you join now. We've done a lot of live streams. You want to know where the live stream replays live? They're all on Patreon. 
So not just this live stream, but all the past live stream replays too. But this offer is only available through April 19th. So go to patreon.com slash body and become a member now to get your free live stream ticket. Thanks so much. It's time for spring cleaning. If you were to open your sex drawer, what would you find? Old crusty lube bottles? A toy way past its prime? Why not gift yourself a brand new set of sexy essentials from Like a Kitten? Like a Kitten offers subscription gift boxes, so each season you'll get a new shipment right to your door with all the ingredients to spice up your sex life. I really love it when my Like a Kitten box comes in the mail. It's beautifully packaged, and boy howdy, there is nothing like new toys to play with. The spring subscription box price is $79, which is a great deal since the products in this box retail for well over $150. The people at Like a Kitten are expert curators and they select beautiful pleasure products. This spring, you'll receive a pink glass dildo, flowered glass kegel balls, and even a mini flower pot with seeds for daisies, sunflowers, and roses. And Like a Kitten is offering Body Storytelling's listeners 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash D-I-X-I-E or enter the code Dixie at checkout. Like a Kitten's mission is to help women own their power in all areas of life. A portion of all sales goes to charities that focus on women's empowerment, education, and health. So you can feel good about feeling good. Act now to surprise your partner with a box from Like a Kitten. Just go to likeakitten.com slash Dixie or use code D-I-X-I-E to get 15% off and free shipping. There's a link to it in this episode's show notes. It's time for a story. And I want to introduce you to one of my favorite storytellers. She has performed body storytelling in San Francisco, in Seattle, in LA, in San Diego. She performed with us at the Jewish Community Center. She is one of my all-time favorites. And not just mine, because she's won Best of Body many times. So let me tell you about her. Allison Moon is the author of five books, including the instant classic Sex Education Guide, Girl Sex 101, and the erotic memoir, Bad Dyke. Her newest book is Getting It, a guide to hot, healthy hookups and shame-free sex. I'm going to put a link to all her social stuff in the show notes. Please follow her. She is incredible. This storyteller is Allison Moon. Hello. So I'm a bit of a misanthrope, a friendly misanthrope, uh, but I just don't think that the average person is much more interesting than a really good sandwich. Uh, and 15 years ago, I met somebody who actually made me reevaluate my stance and maybe consider being a better person. Uh, Hans glowed. He was one of those guys that just kind of had a, a love for life that just gave him an incandescence that created light, that created heat. I met him when I was in college. He was two years older than me and six inches shorter, and he uh, glowed because of paleness at first. <laughs> he was like translucent. Um, 
But I, re- I don't remember much of our first meeting, but I do remember that he asked me a lot of questions, like really big, deep questions of me, like, what do you want to create in this world? And what turns you on spiritually? And who really are you at the end of the day? Questions that as a 17-year-old, I did not have the qualifications to answer. Uh, but once he saw that, he moved on to more neutral topics. Uh, but he always asked me a lot of questions. Uh, his favorite question, I learned, was, would you like to have sex with me? Uh, now, he, I had gotten that question many times before, uh, but I had never gotten it from a man while sober, while dressed, in the broad daylight. And so when I said for the first time, no thanks, and he said, cool, you want to go climb my favorite tree? I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. I didn't know that they made men like that. Men that didn't attach ego and expectations to that question, which sounds simple, but is actually incredibly fraught. So I learned to like him tentatively because he loved so openly and I was so caged. But there was something there that I knew that I I needed to love about him. And every once in a while, he would say... He would just kind of check in, just in case something had changed, (laughs) you know. And uh, I would usually say no, nothing had changed until something kind of did. June 19th, 2003, I remember this date very clearly because I had just graduated from college and I was staying in town, saving money and trying to figure out what the hell to do with my life. And I walked into the town square, and I saw Hans there, flanked by many well-dressed African-American people, and I, he said, Happy Juneteenth, Allison! And I said, What's Juneteenth? And then I proceeded to get an education in African, African-American Emancipation Day from the whitest person I have ever known. And he said, what are you going to do with the rest of your life now that you're done? And I said, I don't know. And he said, what are you going to do today? And I said, I have no idea. And he says, would you like to have sex? (laughs) And I say, no, thanks. And he says, would you like to go swimming? And I say, fuck yes, because I always want to go swimming. And so he says, there, have you been to Chance Creek? This is the swimming hole outside of campus. And in the four years I've been on campus, I have not gone. And so he says, well, we're going. And so we get in the car and we start driving out. And he says on the road, Allison, when did you discover that you were bisexual? I said, I don't, I don't know if I ever discovered it. I mean, it was kind of like an amalgam of dreams and crushes and attractions that kind of added up to me. And it wasn't really discovering me as something different. It was discovering that the world was smaller than my sexuality was, I guess. And he said, when, like, when you had sex with a woman for the first time, was it revelatory? And I said, no, no, actually, not at all. It was just scary. And... When I'm honest with myself, which isn't very often, but when I am, it was actually kind of gross. Like, genitals aren't my favorite part of sex. It's the skin on skin that I really love. 
And he says, Allison, I want to hold your hand. Will you hold my hand? And so he holds his hand on the, arm, on the armrest of the car, and I, I put my hand inside of it. And we just drive in silence on these hot back roads of Ohio for a little while. And then he says, I want to share something embarrassing with you. Can I do that? And I say, yeah, of course. And so he says, when I graduated high school, um, we had a bonfire, and a bunch of the guys, we went into the cornfields, and we practiced giving each other blowjobs. And like me, as like a nascent sex educator, was prepared to be like, that's totally normal. <laughs> but he kept on going, and he said, and like I, like, I really wanted to like it. You know, like, I like closed my eyes, and when I thought of things, like I really liked it. And then when I opened my eyes, it's like I just, there was a guy there, and I just couldn't, I couldn't go there. And I'm really sad about that. And I, I'm really sad that you get to have all of these flavors, and I, I just can't go there. Because that's the kind of guy he was. He was envious of me for being able to love widely, as much as I was envious of him be, for being able to love deeply. And so we got to the creek, and we met some friends, and it was two other girls, and we'd all worn swimsuits, and Hans was just like, fuck this noise, and he just ran to the water, stripped his clothes naked, just jumped into the water, and the girls, and we were like, okay, yeah, it's good, it's gonna happen. So we just stripped naked, and we dove into the water, and it became one of those perfect summer days, you know? Swimming and long, languid conversations about whatever was on our minds, and we laid on rocks like turtles sunbathing and Hans found this really cool area of mud and he just started slathering it on this dark brown mud all over his bright white body covering himself and so the girls we all just started covering ourselves in mud and I actually had a camera and so I put it on a rock when this auto time and I pressed the auto time and I ran back and we took these pictures of ourselves I have three pictures from that day and my favorite one is Hans He's like trying to adjust his position and he starts taking a knee and then his arms go out because he's like losing his balance. He just goes, ah! <laughs> just naked, covered in mud, looking like he's about to take fucking flight. <laughs> that was the last time I saw him for seven years. And uh, the next time I saw him, I, was, I needed a favor. I was moving from Los Angeles to San Francisco and I had a bunch of stuff I needed to store in a basement. So he's like, don't worry, I got you covered. And uh, things fell through. I was on the five, and he says, he calls me. He's like, just meet me here. I've got you covered. So I pull in to Oakland in the storage facility the next morning with my partner in this rental truck. And he says, and Hans runs up to me, smiles, hugs me, and says, here's the lock. Don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. You're good. Welcome to your new home. And... Uh, that's the kind of guy that, that he was. And I wasn't quite sure what to do with this. I'm still never quite sure what to do with that kind of openness, you know? Uh, so we have, my partner, Reed, and I eventually found this beautiful loft, but it needed a lot of work. And Hans had been, uh, he had built a bunch of houses for Habitat for Humanity and was a carpenter by trade. And so he would just show up with tools, helping me do shit around the house. Uh, Reed was gone for a, most of the summer that, that we were building the space, and so Hans would just show up with this toolkit. He came up with these, these nails that have, like, explosive, like, you know, gunpowder in the tip, where they're, they're used to, like, you hit them, they drive into concrete. 
So he taught me how to build walls and hang doors and hang windows and drive these crazy combustible nails into concrete because he wanted to build houses as strong as his friendships, you know? So we had a big housewarming party, and Reed and I, we throw parties that turn into orgies or orgies that turn into parties. We just throw parties where a lot of people get sexy. It happens. Uh, and so the first party that we threw, I don't remember if it started out as an orgy or ended up as an orgy, it doesn't matter. But I do remember that Hans was the first person naked in the pile in the middle. <laughs> and I thought, this is going to be a good place for us to live for a little while. Uh, so... So we had a lot of these parties, and Hans became a regular fixture. And every once in a while, he'd be like, Allison, do you want to have sex? And I'm like, no, I'm cool. Thanks. No, thanks. Um, but I would always throw him to my, my lady friends who came by, because I knew he was so good. He was such that kind of guy that you wanted to, like, throw your ladies to, because he would make the laughs happen and the moans happen and the giggles and the moans happen at the same time. That's the kind of quality guy you want at your orgies, right? And we had also, because we were both, my partner and I were both sex educators, we had inherited a bunch of like sex furniture. So we had like a, sex, a bondage table and a bondage chair and a sex swing and a sex machine. This like pneumatic thing. It was like... It was like a dildo on the end of this pneumatic arm over this leather bench. Just relentless, right? Amazing. Um... And the sex swing was Hans's favorite. I would often look up from a pile of bodies and see him perched there with a beatific smile on his face, looking over at the writhing sexiness happening in front of him. Sometimes he would be alone, often he was not. Uh, so we had a bunch of these parties and then about a year into us moving into like our anniversary in this loft, um, we, had had an we had another party and it was like, I was cranky that night. It was a small party. I was cranky. Um, and he came, and he's like, Allison, do you want to have sex or just play or something? And I said, no, thanks. At this point, it was out of habit and maybe a little bit of social anxiety as opposed to out of actual thought and desire. Because in retrospect, and I often think about this, when I say, when he asks, you know, do you want to play, I, the answer is actually yes, but I didn't say yes, I just said no thanks, like I always said to, to, to him. And he said okay, and I foisted him on one of my friends, and I watched and enjoyed as he giggled and romped with her all night, and it was really beautiful and fun. Uh, and then, not a week later, I got a phone call from another college friend who I'd seen in San Francisco a bunch of times. And, and he called, and I answered, and he says, Allison. And his voice just trails off. And like instinctively, like I knew it was one of, you know, those phone calls, even though I'd never gotten one of those phone calls before. And he says, Hans. And he just chokes and I lower myself to the corner of my bed. And he says, Hans, and he chokes on his own voice again. And I say, Hans what? And he just wretches the words, Hans is dead.
and I, he gives me a little bit of the details. And I say, okay, thanks. And I hang up on him. And I'm holding my phone, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm scrolling through the contacts. Because I'm supposed to call somebody now, right? That's what you're supposed to do. I'm supposed to phone tree or some shit. I'm scrolling through, and I see a bunch of names, and no one in my phone needs to know right then. But I pick a couple people, and I call them, just because I feel like I need to repeat the phrase like I'm learning a foreign language. Hans is dead. Hans is dead. Hans is dead. And then I, I get up, and I, I walk to Reed in his office, and I say, Hans is dead. And he looks at me, and he says, okay. Okay, like a question. Like, are you okay? Okay, what do I need to do for you? Okay, is everything okay? And I say, okay. And so I walk into the middle of the home that Hans helped me build, and I feel empty. And so I, I, I get back to work. So I go outside to, to pull some plywood off the roof of my car, which I had ratcheted to it, because we still had work to do on the loft. And I call over my shoulder, Reed, can you help me? And then uh, Reed finds me on the asphalt next to the car, heaving in sobs. And now the 15 minutes of shock has, is over, and I just feel ugh, everything, everything. Everything. And honestly, having experienced grief a couple times in my life, I have, to ex expe I have to expect that the prevalent emotion after l l hearing news of a loss is regret, right? Regret for all the things you said, regret for all the things you didn't say, or regret for the last thing you said to them before they left. All that bullshit just comes right there. Regret for all the moments that you have been denied. And all I could feel was regret, and the only word I ever heard in my head was no thanks. No thanks. No thanks to all the times Hans asked me if I wanted to be loved as much as he wanted to love me. And I said, no thanks. There was a funeral of course. Uh, Hans was actually in seminary, which sounds kind of silly, except for he actually was like the kind of Christian that Christians say Christians are. Uh, he like saw God in everything and the divine in everyone, and so of course it seemed perfectly clear that he'd be wearing a collar around his neck while heading to the orgy. Um, so... So we went to the funeral, and it was all of the things that you think a funeral should be, and all the things that an atheist at a funeral feels is what, what I felt. And in the basement, in the reception, I had this picture of us covered in mud, naked, and I couldn't show it to anyone there, because all of the friends that knew him the way I knew him, they weren't there. They didn't feel comfortable there. And in the weeks later, 
His spirit was not at rest with us. The Hans that I knew found God in sweat and cum and moans and screams, and I knew I needed to throw Hans a fucking orgy. So we threw Hans a fucking orgy. And in the house that Hans helped build, uh, we had friends that I haven't seen, I hadn't seen since college, his oldest lovers who lived in the Bay Area and I never saw. His, one of his great oldest lovers was there holding hands with her boyfriend with her arm wrapped around the woman who I will always consider to be his widow, sharing stories about how much passion could be packed into such a fucking small container. And as they shared their stories about why they needed to honor him this way, because it wasn't just me, it was a lot of us that needed to honor him in the way that we knew him best. I looked across the, the circle as we were sharing stories and I saw my partner, who could have been Hans's cousin, but for like 100 pounds and like eight inches of height. And I saw in him what I saw in Hans, this need to create community around sweat and lust and love and experience of catharsis in ways that are maybe outside of the norm. And I looked at him and I was so grateful that I actually was able to say yes to him. More times than I was able to say no to Hans. And the orgy was amazing. I mean, it was amazing. There are people fucking like crazy. There were sobs that turned into orgasms. Orgasms turned into sobs because as sex geeks, we know often these things are inextricably linked and there's nothing wrong with that. And we played Scrabble. Um, we played sex Scrabble. It's a team sport. Um, we played it in teams of two where when you were laying down the tiles, you had to be the one getting fucked while you were laying down the tiles. It created some really rudimentary, problematic words. <laughs> and some real strategic quandaries, like why would you end a word in an E right before a triple word score? It doesn't matter. It didn't matter. And I, I, I was partnered with a woman who scared me, and I felt yes in the scaredness, in the way that I always felt no in the scaredness with Hans. And we had an uneven number of people in the game. So we actually decided we needed to have somebody so they could play with the seventh member, and so we hauled out the sex machine. <laughs> So one of our teammates got to play while getting fucked by the machine. And late in the evening, after all of us were spent, and we toast lifted our glasses and our asses to the man who was dear departed, somebody said, you know that sex machine? We should name him Hans. And so we did. Hans now lives next to my favorite reading chair in the loft, usually very quiet, but I know that if he ever asks again, my answer is going to be yes.
Thank you. song was Bedroom Hymns by Florence and the Machine. Well, it happened. This past week, I was supposed to be doing the show Fingers Crossed on March 25th. And as I traveled and went to a wedding and was around so many people, I ended up coming back and getting sick on Wednesday. The show was on Friday, so that was not enough time to get my COVID results and know that I was negative so I could keep everyone safe. So, the show is postponed. The new date is going to be on Friday, April 22nd. We still have a phenomenal lineup. We have Katie Cookie, whose first gig ever is going to be on the body storytelling stage. We inspired her through the live stream during COVID to work on her own songs, and we're going to get to be the first one to sample them live. There's a link to tickets in the show notes. I'd love to see you on April 22nd, 
either live at the Verdi Club or on our live stream. Well, that's our time for this week. But before I go, I want to ask you to please subscribe, rate, and especially review the Body Storytelling Podcast. Your good word of mouth means so much more than all the social media in the world. They'll give us a try, and that's really, really important. And I want to say thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Thank you to David Grossoff, Mosa Maxwell-Smith, Donald Mooney, Joe Moore, Ruben Tan, and podcast producer Roman Den Houdiker. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Delatour. This has been episode 219 of the Body Storytelling Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll be-